we're trying to treat something that's been going on 30, 40, 50 years. What if we go downstream and try to address this in the beginning and prevent this from happening? And think about the health savings because, you know, with sleep apnea, you have cardiovascular disease, you got diabetes, you got hypertension, you got dementia, you got erectile dysfunction. I mean, there's, I can go on and on. All the things that are associated, clearly, I mean, this is not just a correlation. There's a cause and effect, even cancer from sleep disordered breathing. Welcome to the Beautifully Broken Podcast, brought to you by AmpCoil. I'm your host, Freddie Kimmel, and on this show, we discuss the common thread survivors share after walking through the fire, the practitioners making a difference, and the treatment modalities that deliver healing back into the hands of the people who need it most. Witness the inspiration we gain by navigating the human experience with grace, humility, and a healthy dose of mistakes. Because part of being human is being beautifully broken. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Beautifully Broken podcast. Our guest today, Eugene Sambataro, has been a leader in the field of dentistry for more than 35 years. Dr. Sambataro's holistic approach to dentistry is rooted in an understanding of the interconnectedness of oral and whole body health. As a director and clinician of his practice, the Julian Center for Comprehensive Dentistry, Dr. Sambataro focuses on healing the mind, the body, the spirit, with an emphasis on treating sleep disordered breathing issues like sleep apnea. A published author with his acclaimed book, Stop the Snore, available on Amazon, delves into the topic of sleep apnea, explaining its long-term impact on health, its root causes, and how it can be treated using cutting-edge dental care technology. We are going to have a lot to talk about on this podcast. Welcome to the Beautifully Broken Podcast, Dr. Sambataro. Yeah, thank you, Freddie. What a great introduction. Yeah, we have a lot to talk about. Listen, it's it's I've been I, I mentioned this to some friends today. This is definitely one of the interviews I've been looking forward to since I started the podcast. And we can jump right in. And if you could just tell the audience at home what is holistic or what is biological dentistry? Well, it, it initially was called holistic dentistry for years, probably when I first jumped into it. And I'll tell you a little bit about how that all happened in a second. But And then um, this whole new term came about, and a lot of it came from European medicine, which is biological medicine. A lot of that came from Germany and Switzerland, uh, specifically the Paracelsus Clinic and the work of Dr. Rao, who I studied with. So we sort of sh shifted it from holistic dentistry to biological dentistry. But they're, you know, they're kind of intertwined. Uh, we do have the Holistic Dental Association. We also have the International Academy of Biological Medicine and Dentistry. So, what, like, what's the difference? They're, they're the same. They're basically dealing with the mind, body, and mouth experience and how they're all related. So, um, and from a dental perspective, we've got to look at this as a dual relationship. Like, the body affects the mouth and the mouth affects the body. Now, in your practice, you know, you've been in the industry for 35 years. Did you start out that way? No, no, because actually uh, I'm working close to my 40th year in practice. So I feel very fortunate and grateful. Uh, not exactly how it happened, but that it did happen. Uh, so, you know, I graduated from the University of Maryland, 1980. I was uh, practicing standard traditional dentistry. I was placing mercury fillings. I was doing root canals. And in 1986, a very dear friend of mine was diagnosed with a stage four melanoma. And uh, 
They gave him three to six months to live. Just I'll stop for a second, Tate. He's still alive. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I started to sweat. Yeah. 1986, three to six months to live. Here it is, 2019. He's still alive, doing well, cancer free. So uh, what happened, uh, and I'm not sure how exactly how he ended up there. You know, sometimes just the universe works in very strange ways, but he ended up in this clinic in Southern California. It's called the Livingston Wheeler Clinic. And they were doing some alternative stuff, probably, you know, far before any of the things we've heard about now. And I know they were doing some like auto vaccines, you know, drawing his blood and making a vaccine. But the important thing, uh, why I want to bring this up, is that when he got back from the clinic, he said, you know, we really need to get together. I want to tell you something really important. I said, sure. You know, how did it go? How are you doing? No, no, wait. You need to know. First thing that happened when I walked into the clinic, they said, open your mouth. And they said, before we start any treatment on your cancer, you got to get rid of all the amalgam. All the metals got to come out of your mouth. And I just went, you got to be kidding me. What, what does that have to do with your cancer? I had no idea. I mean, it's, I, I mean, it's hard for me to even relate now because of where my mind is set now is that I can't even imagine being of that mindset. But um, that's, where, you know, that's what we were taught in school. Mercury was fine. It was safe. It doesn't come out. It doesn't leak out. It's, you know, it's perfectly safe. There's not enough in there to cause any damage. So anyway, as happens sake and the universe helping me also i found this book it was called it's all in your head by dr hal huggins who was the true pioneer the guy had more arrows in his back than anybody i know so um he was in colorado springs i flew out there i studied with him uh i'm reading his book and on my way out there i'm, I'm my wife sitting next to me and saying look cindy you wouldn't believe it but um i think we're poisoning our patients uh, i had we had no idea so I went out and studied with them on the dangers of it, how to safely remove it, how to create a protocol in your office. So as soon as I got back from that weekend, I called my salesperson and said, come in my office and remove all the mercury. We're not placing mercury in anybody else's teeth. So that was the beginning of my journey. So uh, it was kind of interesting, but it really was a shift. It was a paradigm shift. It was so big. It was probably the biggest paradigm shift in my life. And what year was that when you made that change? 1986. 1986. That is way ahead of the curve. So I know I can already tell you right now, there are people listening to this podcast and they might be gripping their wheel of their car a little bit because they're saying to themselves, well, I've got mercury in my mouth. So if you couldn't just paint a, a clear picture, because that's not the standard. Many people still use mercury fillings and it's considered, um, I believe by many, still considered safe. So where would somebody go to get some data like on, on exactly the harmful effects of these amalgam fillings? Well, there are several places. I mean, if you just Google mercury toxicity, you'll find lots of, I mean, I even have a site, uh, toxicfreedentistry.com, but you can go to the Holistic Dental Association, the International Academy of Oral Medicine Toxicology, it's called the IAOMT, but you know, Thanks to Dr. Google, you can find lots of stuff, but it's no problem to find that. Of course, you might find the, the controversy also that says it's still perfectly safe. And here, here's the truth, really. W with all we know now, you know, with, uh, with MTHFR and other uh, detoxification issues that people have, certain people are going to be much more sensitive to it. There is a 5 to 10% population that's actually sensitive, or I mean, so say allergic, to mercury. Mm -hmm. And then there's probably about 95% people that are sensitive to the toxicity of it and some being more than others. So if you have really excellent health, good immune system, good detoxification pathways, it may not be a problem. 
mm-hmm. now, but what about in the future? And so now there's clear, without a doubt, science to back that up in relationship to things like Alzheimer's and other neurological issues. So why, why use it? And here's, here's the bottom line, Freddie, is that it's horrible material. We're in 2019. That material was discovered in 1840. So I don't know about you. I'm not using many things that were around in 1840. You know, got rid of my uh, little circular telephone or whatever that is. Yes. <laughs> Hopefully we found materials that are far better. And there are. The materials we have today in dentistry are far, far better. They're superior. They're stronger. They're more biocompatible. They don't break down. They're, they're more aesthetic. And, and really, that's what's happening is the public's actually pushing this because they don't want it. One, there's a certain population that know that it's that it's toxic, so they're not going to use it. And there's another population of people that don't want it because they don't want they don't want dark material in their mouth. So from an aesthetic standpoint, so because of that, it's going to slowly go away. So so let me ask you this: when you when you see somebody, do you ever happen to run a let's say a urine collection test or a blood sample to see levels of mercury in the tissue or the blood before and after extraction? Yeah, we do. I think the best test right now, and for years we didn't have any way, like either hair analysis or urine analysis, and that was the best thing we had. And I know there's some still still doing that, and this is not to criticize anyone, but anyone listening to this, the best test out there is Quicksilver Scientific. Dr. Chris Shade, he's a genius. So what do you, and it's called the tri-test. So they're looking at urine, blood, and hair. When you look at those in combination and the ratios, that's going to tell you a couple things. How much organic mercury is in your body, how much inorganic mercury is in your body, and uh, how much you're retaining. So what's your excretion rate? So if you're a slow excreter and you have high levels, say you got a mouthful of amalgams, you eat tuna fish every day, and you got and you got the MTHFR or other poor detoxification, you're probably going to have a lot of issues. So um, that's a great way to test it, the Quicksilver test. Beautiful. So I love that, that people can kind of um, quantify and see what's going on in their body and they can kind of assess, you know, do I need to get this out? Is it a priority for me? You know, one thing that comes up for the audience, can you just explain if they, if, if people are listening and they don't know what the MTHFR gene does and how it affects the body? Well, it's a genetic mutation. It's what we call a SNP, a small nucleotide protein. So, um, when that is occurring in your body, and you can have that tested. I mean, I think even uh, 23andMe tests that. Yeah, I think 23andMe, and then I think you can crunch the data through a data service like Genetic Genie or something like that. Or um, uh, what's the, the other guy who does it? The Clean Genes guy there. Um, there's DNA Fit. There's yep. I, yeah, there's a bunch of them out there. So um, uh, I think even Ancestry.com does it. I don't know if they check for MTHFR. Um, anyway, if you have that, if you have that particular I don't want to say defect, it's a mutation. So it's going to affect your ability to detoxify or methylate, I should say. So if you can't methylate, you can't get rid of the mercury. Uh, And that's only one of the issues that occurs with somebody with MTHFR. And there's some other SNPs too that could be also associated with that. So if your ability to uh, retain and not be able to excrete it, that means that, say, for example, if you eat a lot of fish that has mercury in it, or you have a lot of fillings with mercury in it, that's constantly being leaked into your tissue and that stuff will be stored in your cells especially your kidneys your liver your brain so especially organs that are high in sulfur content Mm. oh man i know i'm 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 thankful i had one tooth 
I had one tooth that was left and it was funny. It was after, um, it was a root canal that they had done halfway and I needed a crown on it. I had, I had started it before I went through treatment for cancer. And then they said, you can't touch your teeth while you're going through chemotherapy, you know, for the obvious reasons of infection. And I said, fine, fine, fine. And when I finally got through treatment, I remember walking into a dentist's office and he's like, well, you know, we can make a crown. We can fix that root canal. And I was like, I want you to get your pliers and I want it gone. Just get it out. So that was like my $160 fix. And he was like, sir, you're going to want that tooth. And I was like, and I didn't know I wasn't into biohacking or dental health at the time, but I knew I was like that, that root canal has been half done for like two years. I want to, this should be good. That should go. I want to sidebar. I want to jump on to, uh, you know, on Netflix recently, there was a documentary that I loved. I thought it was so cool. It's called Root Cause. And it looked at a lot of these things we're talking about, biological dentistry. And I thought it was so neat because it was like kind of a blend of like storytelling. It had this performance element because it had like an actor kind of doing your through line protagonist. And he went through all these amazing health complications that were started from a botched root canal where the onset of his symptoms. Now, cut to today, you can no longer find that documentary on Netflix. What Can you give us some insight there? Uh, you can get it on Amazon. Okay. I actually bought like 10 copies of it, so I have it. Uh, yeah, I think uh, the ADA had something to do with that. Uh, obviously, influenced the Netflix to take that off. They felt like it was damaging uh, to the dental profession. But I, I don't understand that. Isn't that what a documentary is? Not necessarily damaging, but it's providing information. Or, or an opinion. Or opinion. So yeah. I don't know how they, uh, with the First Amendment, that was allowed to be done, but somehow it got pulled. It did kind of attack the dental profession. But then again, it was just one person's story. Uh, and as you saw it, so... He tried so many different things that nothing seemed to resolve his health issue until he had the root canal out. We see that in patients, and I'm not going to say every root canal needs to be taken out. Again, sort of like the mercury issue, if your immune system is compromised and you have bacteria or other microbes, anaerobic microbes leaking in your body, that's going to create havoc on your immune system and many other systems. So uh, it really depends on who's more susceptible to it. So, but if you have a flaring, acute, abscess, you have to get that thing out. And if you remember, uh, Dr. Tom Levy on there has associated, in fact, he wrote a book and he's got plenty of references showing a strong link uh, between breast cancer uh, and uh, root canals and also between that and cardiovascular disease. Mm -hmm. Why would you want to have that in there? Especially now we have so many alternatives. Yeah, I know. When I kind of saw that that statistic on breast cancer and you know, correlating with the side where women had had root canals. That was pretty shocking. It was a really high percentage, wasn't it? Yes, it was. I, I mean, he, he claims about 85, 90%, whether that's a correlation or a direct cause and effect. But regardless, I mean, it's reason to be alarmed, at least be informed. I think here, here's what, even with the, whether it's a mercury root canal, let's inform our patients. Let's give them an opportunity to make the decision themselves. You know, so let's present both sides. And I do present both sides. Obviously, I'm a little biased, but I do present I do present to the pay. Look, you know, there are other dentists that believe root canals should be saved. Other dentists believe amalgams are safe. Uh, I want you to really investigate so that you can make a very 
informed decision in terms of what you want to do and where you want to move forward. So there's no pressure on, on, from our perspective. So, but the thing is, they're not going to get that in the traditional dental practice. They're only going to get one view. They're not, they're, they're, they're going to debunk everything else. And that's unfortunate. And I think it's a right of the patients that have the right to choose. When somebody comes into the office, you know, and, and let's say somebody is presenting, you know, they're symptomatic, they're in some pain in the jaw. Let's say they've got a couple um, amalgam fillings and they've, they've got a root canal that, that could possibly be something that's addressed um, on a visit. Where do, where do you start people out? Do you just start going in and doing work or do you prep the body at all for that, that um, procedure? Yeah, great question. Um, it depends on where they're coming from. A lot of these patients that come to us are already on some other track, whether they're working with a, a alternative practitioner, maybe a naturopath or a nutrition counselor, or and they've done a lot of work themselves. A lot of these people are really pretty educated these days. They really have a lot going on. So if not, yes, we want to prep them nutritionally. We want to make sure their diet's okay. We want to make sure their gut is okay, because one of the things that we start removing mercury uh, they have to have, a, you know, minerals to help detoxify. So if their gut's not healthy, you know, we could throw them into some kind of Herxheimer and they may detox too quickly. So we want to make sure that they're actually ready for this process. Mm -hmm. And now in terms of an abscess tooth, you got to get that out right away because that's just leaking into your body. And, and that can cause, you know, a sudden heart attack or even a stroke. So, and I'm not saying, again, if you have an asymptomatic root canal, your immune system strong, you have no stress in your life, your diet is perfect, the air you're breathing is absolutely pure, um, your emotional state is, <laughs> all your relationships are great, it may not be a problem. <laughs> well, you just left planet Earth. <laughs> yes. So where are you? <laughs> you just left planet Earth. I don't know where that scenario exists anymore. And then if, if, if somebody comes in and they, and they do have this situation and they do have an infection in the jaw, um, you being a biological dentist, how are you going to go after that with, with what's your alternative to, I guess, antibiotics would be something that a, a, a standard dentist practice would prescribe. Yeah. And I sometimes, although rarely will, will prescribe an antibiotic if it's an acute infection, especially if they have swelling, a fever, uh, and you can actually see, you know, facial swelling. We want to get them on antibiotics because we want to make sure that infection does not get to the brain or the heart. Uh, people died from dental infection. So, but we want to get them in as soon as possible and get, get some ozone injected into the area to help cut down on the bacterial load and allow the body to, to handle that and then get that tooth out as quickly as possible. Get the tooth out, ozonate it, clean out the socket, make sure it heals properly. There's a whole protocol for that. But also looking at their nutrition and making sure their nutrition diet is good and making sure they're sleeping and resting. So yeah. <laughs> a little bit about that and important in the healing process. So it really, you know, you have to look at each single patient as, as an individual. They're all different. They all have different needs. Uh, we're just here to kind of educate them and help them in whatever path that they want to, they want to go down. So we're here to give them a different perspective. Yeah. So let's, let's touch on that for a second. So actually, and I'll tell the audience this, you know, the first time I came across your name, it was on Instagram and I think your tag is it's the biohacking dentist. Yeah. Yes. Right. So can we elaborate on that? What is, how, why do you consider yourself the biohacking dentist? Well, that's interesting because I didn't even know that's what I was. 
but I've been doing a lot of things for probably 20 or 25 years. Did not know the term biohacking. So for example, I've had an infrared sauna for probably well over 20 years, a vibration plate for 20 years, pulse electromagnetic frequency. I bought my first one in the 90s, uh, doing a lot of um, cranial electrical stimulation. Uh, so all these things that now they're calling biohacking, uh, I was doing a long time ago. I just saw that there was some value in this. And I'm a little bit, well, Freddie, you can, you can relate. Yeah. <laughs> It's my, it's, it's my, it's my toy collection for sure. It's like my, you know, my adult obsession with, you know, upgrading human biology. It's like walking into Toys R Us as a kid. I love this stuff. Yeah. I'm, I'm definitely into the toys. And, um, my, my two girls remind me all the time when they were, when they were very young, I think, um, less than 10 years old, they came into the kitchen and I had a, um, candle in my ear. I was doing <laughs> some ear candling to get the wax out. And, you know, this thing's on fire and it's in my ear. So they were like, what are you doing? So so they understand now that they're, nothing will surprise them. And actually, interesting, they just started their own. Uh, they're going to start a podcast called Biohacking Chicks. Wait, is it Biohacking Chicks or Biohacking Babes? Babes, that's the bi- Biohacking Babes. <laughs> I want to be sure to, I want to be sure to give them the right plug. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that must be genetic. So that, so something wore off. I love it. They're very much into all the toys. And like you said, why, why wouldn't you take advantage of anything that's going to improve your biology? I mean, if you can walk around the average American home for me, and I always take note of when I visit somebody's house, and this is now everybody's going to think I'm judging them when they walk into their home. But it's, it's I look at all the stuff that's, that's in the home. You know, we, we really, we fill our homes with stuff we rarely touch. You know, DVDs or you know, look in someone's garage and look at them. The stuff is piled from floor to ceiling. And in my head, I'm like, I'm kind of a minimalist, but you know, I do have an ozone machine. I do have a hypoxic breathing machine. I do have red lights and a little mini fold up sauna. And for me, that stuff, it like makes me feel better, increases energy and allows me to pursue all the things I want to pursue in life at a really, really high level of engagement. Yes, absolutely. I was thinking just uh, from a dental perspective, I, I bought my first Low, well, they call it low-level laser therapy. Then now it's photobiomodulation. So yes, more scientific. But you know, I bought my first one in the early '90s, so I was using it on extraction sites and for desensitizing teeth, and of course some other uh, areas in the body. But um, now it's uh, become common um, to use photobiomodulation. Yeah, it's big now. It's really on the wave. I know, you know, one thing for me, it's like, and I've been experimenting with this lately and tracking my sleep is I really, I've been trying to wake up and get directly outside in the first 15, 20 minutes of the day, do a little sun gazing, um, as much skin exposure, natural sunlight. And it really does. It really does set that circadian rhythm. So when nighttime comes, I am ready for sleep. Yeah. And that's, that's about the least expensive biohacking thing you can do. And so now you don't have to spend a lot of money to buy any toys to do that. I mean, it's, it's right there. So why not get some sunshine? Uh, we need that. Don't lather all this sunscreen on you. Walk around on the earth, get some electromagnetic pulses around yourself. Yeah. And, and then when I can't in the winter, in the winter, you know, January, February, or a really wet spring here in New York city, then I will, I'll do 15 to 20 minutes of my red light therapy device. Yeah. Um, and that also helps, especially with that seasonal depression. 
Absolutely. So I think it's crazy not to take advantage of things. I mean, some of them can be a little pricey, but you know, some, some, I mean, you can buy, you can buy a red light, a small one. It can be fairly portable and expensive. I mean, everyone can buy that. What's a, what's a brand that you love for your uh, red light device? Uh, I think the Juve is, is a very good product. Mm-hmm. So um, now I have a, a photobiomodulation system in my office called Thor, um, but it's got many modalities on it. So I can use it externally on the cheek. I can use it on in the mouth, on teeth. I mean, we can use it in a lot of different places. So it has a lot of variables. That's, that's a pretty expensive machine, but Juve is definitely uh, something that most people could afford. Great. Great. Yeah. I'm going to, I'll put that in the show notes. And so we're on this topic of biohacking, right? And, and right now I think if you go, you know, if you go to a a convention, let's, so there's the Bulletproof conference, there's paleo FX, there's a Toronto biohackers convention and everybody's focused on, you know, reducing the blue light and, you know, not eating too late and the blackout curtains and what type of supplements you're going to take. But there's something there is missing in this field and you you've you've written a book on this so we can can we talk a little bit about that yeah it's a little it's a little disturbing because i do listen to all the different biohacking podcasts and i read the biohacking manual you know so you know i go to the conference go to the paleo uh uh a4m bulletproof so you know we're we're in tune to all that and all of that's great and i'm very much into that like as soon as i get home this evening my blue blocker lights are Glasses are going on. My screen's gone blue, uh, blue blocking. Um, you know, I'm quieting down. I've got my meditation ready to go right before you go to bed. I lay on my pulse electromagnetic frequency pad before I go to bed. Yeah. And then I do some, um, some brain stuff to help me uh, get into that more alpha state. So I'm doing, you know, Freddie, the crazy thing is my wife doesn't do any of this and she sleeps like a baby. <laughs> yes. I, it just, it's frustrating. She'll be sitting there in the bed with her iPad and she can just sleep and she gets, we use the aura ring and her sleep is better than mine every night. And I'm doing all this biohacking, but that aside, some people I think don't need that. Others do. And I'm one of those that need, I need a dark room. I need it quiet. I need it very cold. So I need all that to sleep well. That, that was sort of an introduction, but the most important thing that's being overlooked are you breathing while you sleep? Are you breathing adequately? Are you getting enough oxygen to your cells to support your system and to keep your body into that parasympathetic state? So when our body is deprived of oxygen, and that could quite often be because our airway is blocked, and that could be anatomical, it could be from nasal congestion, could be your mouth breather. So there's lots of reasons why that could be happening. We go into a fight or flight state. So we wonder why after sleeping eight, nine, 10 hours, we're still tired because you didn't sleep really. You didn't get into that deep sleep. And deep sleep, of course, is restorative sleep. So if you have any kind of chronic issues, you're not going to heal. If you have any kind of brain fog, you're not getting into REM sleep. So breathing to me is the most important thing. And think about it. Nutrition's obviously very important. Exercise is very important. Those things really don't matter if you're not sleeping. And I think you and I and all your listeners will agree, one bad night of sleep and we are, we don't want to, people don't want to be around us. We're horrible. 
it's the worst kryptonite in in my paradigm and and it it's ne- it's not one day that i'm um subpar performance it's usually two or three that i can really feel it yeah and so if you're doing all those biohacking things but you have a compromised airway whether it's from your tongue or just anatomical changes you're overweight there's a nasal congestion any of those things if you're not getting adequate oxygen and it, and it's not just when you're sleeping even during the day I wonder why people are so anxious because they're not breathing properly so but during the night when we're resting and restoring we're supposed to be in that parasympathetic state we're really not you wonder why you wake up to go to the bathroom so we say oh it's a weak bladder it's prostate no you're in a sympathetic state so when you're in that sympathetic state, fight or flight, what happens? You stimulate the bladder and the kidneys. To, and there's actually a protein that's, stimu- that's released by the heart when it feels like there's excessive pressure. And that can because when you're not breathing, it creates this negative pressure into the thoracic area, up into the throat. That can cause a sensation to the heart that there's excessive pressure, even like there's excessive fluid, it will release this protein to allow the kidneys to release urine. So that's why you're getting up to go to the bathroom. That's unreal. Yeah. That's so, so how do you integrate this into your dental practice when you're working with someone? Well, I, I would imagine listening to you speak right now. Um, I've always had a horrible deviated septum and I had, I did have, I've always had breathing problems as a child. I had very, very large tonsils. I had my adenoids taken out, I had tubes in my ears. This, you know, it was a, I was a strep throat, a child of strep throat. We'll say that that was like my, my kryptonite is a little kid. So that was always an issue for me. How do I know if I'm breathing at night or not, or breathing well? Well, you could do a very simple thing and get just yourself a uh, pulse oximeter for your finger plasmography. So you can measure your oxygen levels. That would be the simplest thing to do. Okay. Uh, Obviously, if you're, if you're doing any kind of metrics like the aura ring, or uh, Fitbit, anything like that, you can see what your sleep is. It's not going to tell you what your oxygen level is, but if you get the um, and check your oxygenation just with a finger pulse oximeter, that will tell you where your oxygen levels are. And what am I looking for? There's there. I believe we could we could probably link one in the show notes. Um, I actually can see mine on the table over there. Um, I'm trying to think the model that I have, but it's it's a really good one. But I just bought it on Amazon. It was it was pretty cheap, thirty nine bucks, something like that. Yeah, pretty inexpensive. And yeah, should, I mean, even during the day when you're feeling really tense and anxious, just see see what's happening. Are you breathing? What's your mm. oxygen level? I mean, ideally, it should be ninety eight, ninety nine, hundred percent oxygen saturation. If it the if you're desaturating, that's not good. Like in my office, we anytime we're doing a major procedure, especially surgery, we're checking people's oxygen. If their oxygen drops in the low 90s, we stop the procedure. Wow. We make sure that person's, because a lot of times people will just hold their breath. So that's not a healthy thing to think. In the evening, while you're sleeping, people actually stop breathing as much as 30, 40, 50, 60 times an hour for as a minimum of 10 seconds or more. Now, we had a patient who had no idea, he he lived alone. He went away on a family trip. They recorded him snoring. He came in and he told us that story. We said, my God, we really need to test you. I want you to go home and do this home sleep study. His score came back 
And let me, I'll just explain the score. It's called apnea hypopnea index, AHI. Five and below is normal. Five to 15 is mild. 15 to 30 is moderate. Above 30 is severe. His was 85. 85. How was he alive? <laughs> I, I don't know, by the grace of God. But uh, yeah. So we, I mean, we just, we saved this guy's life. I mean, who knows when he would take his last breath. And when, what was his course of action? Uh, we immediately recommend him go on a CPAP machine. Okay. So that's still the gold, gold standard. And for someone that high, you got to get him oxygen right away. So we also do implement uh, dental appliance therapy uh, for those who are CPAP intolerant, people who don't want to wear a CPAP, which is most people. Yes. So, you know, the stigma that comes with that. Well, I listen, I, you know, in my apartment here that overlooks Manhattan, you know, I have a spare bedroom. I'm a huge fan of Airbnb, even though the government is trying to crush it right now. Um, But it's been, it's been, it's been amazing. However, once in a while, I'll get someone in with a CPAP machine and it's, it's like, I feel so, I just feel for them. You know, I'm watching them lug around all this gear they got to clean it out every night. It's messy. It's, you know, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot to keep the body going. And all three people, I have three people stay with CPAPs for it. It's very interesting to me that it's, that, that I've had that many guests, but, um, you know, every person struggled with, with obesity and, you know, it was clear from the people that stayed, they were not doing nutritional, um, (laughs) advancements to try to mitigate (laughs) like what was going on. Yeah. But it's it's a lot. It's a big responsibility to drag around that machine. Yeah, I forget the comedian who said that um, CPAP machine is a perfect birth control. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I know. Well, I think about that with half the stuff that I do, because like I got like a, the spike, you know, I've got the um, the spiky mat I'll lay on. Oh, yeah. And then, you know, I've got the intranasal red light therapy and, you know, I get some weird stuff going on before bed that I'm like, I'm lucky I'm single. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> my wife looks over. She just shakes her head like, what are you doing? Because it's always something new. So, but yeah, these CPAP machines are life saving. But uh, a lot of people are intolerant. They can't handle them. But like you said, those are the very severe cases, and almost always they're obese. And if they're not willing to lose weight, uh, it's going to be very difficult to help them. So they may stay on a CPAP machine for the rest of their life. So, But it might keep them alive. But it's very awkward for them to wear it. It's hard to keep them clean. They get, it's difficult to travel with them. So we have some other options, and that's what I talk about in the book, are the dental contributions and what are the dental options to treatment. And that is one dental appliances that can actually hold your jaw forward in a forward position while you're sleeping. Mm-hmm. So since the tongue is attached to the jaw, if you bring the jaw forward, the tongue comes out of the back of the throat. The tongue is the major obstructor of the, of the airway. Okay, other than nasal, if you have nasal congestion, you're breathing through your mouth, and if the tongue's in the back of your throat, and if it's partially blocked, that's what causes snoring. So. If it's completely blocked, that's what causes apnea. You actually stop breathing. And sometimes that can be, we've seen on tests, somebody stops breathing for 30 seconds. 30 seconds at a time. So just go ahead and put your hand over your mouth and hold your nose for 30 seconds and do that over and over throughout the day and see how you feel. You're going to wonder why people wake up fatigue. They have chronic fatigue. Is it because they've got Epstein-Barr? Uh, it's because they're not sleeping. Um, so there's all kinds of things from treating fatigue. No one's talking about breathing. 
And to me, it's the most important thing we do. And the second thing that we offer is, is another type of appliance where we can actually correct and stimulate epigenetically jaw development. So if we can open up the jaw and make it wider, and this is all in our genome. So something went disarray when we were infants, probably because we weren't breastfed or we were given uh, soft, gooey foods, processed foods. So we didn't get the chewing that requires stimulation to the masticatory muscles, which then causes bone growth. So this is not something that shouldn't happen because it's in our ancestors. If you look at the work of, for example, Weston Price, when he looked at these populations around the world that weren't eating processed food, guess what? There were no dentists, no orthodontists, perfectly straight teeth, nice wide smiles, no cavities, no gum disease. So not a dentist or orthodontist anywhere near them. So what's happened over the years, stop breastfeeding, eating processed foods, our jaws are getting smaller. Hey, I'm a victim of it too. I was not breastfed. I was a thumb sucker. I was a bedwetter. I had four teeth taken out. I had braces, had everything pushed back. All that's affecting your airway. So now we can actually stimulate that. What I'm actually doing myself is stimulating the growth that's in, in my genes. Okay, so epigenetically, I'm stimulating to go back to where it should have when I was a young child or infant. And you can even see, if you look at my photos as a child, I had a big chubby face. And then it started getting more and more narrow, more and more narrow. Yeah. And then breathing through your mouth, not being able to breathe through your nose. All those things are affected. So we're now focusing our attention on children. So we can, we can initiate treatment at the age of two and actually get them back on track. So, so it's never absolute black and white. So we, I, we do see some children that were breastfed and they still didn't get the proper growth and development. But most of them have not been breastfed. So we can get them right on track because I'm not here to try to get, get that culture change where every woman, woman should start breastfeeding. <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen. And, no, and that's not a criticism or judgment. It's just that's the reality. Yeah, no, we're doing what we can we, when, when you can. So, so you have, this is something specifically you do in your practice and you have hardware for this. Yeah, so we have appliances. We, have, we start all the kids out with something called a habit corrector. So we want to get their tongue back in the right position, which would be on the roof of the mouth, so they're swallowing properly. So that just re- changes that to swallowing, the speaking. Because some of these kids have speech pathology issues. And the biggest thing, there was a study done in 2012 that showed that 50 to 80% of the children with ADD have sleep disordered breathing. I mean, that's huge. So look number. at that large population. How are we treating those? Pharmaceuticals. So now we have a way to get these kids to breathe and sleep, and so they're not hyperactive. So they have attention deficit. They're not wetting the bed. They're getting normal growth and development. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking right now, I can already, I'm seeing like questions arise from parents in like Rochester, New York, Ohio, Kansas. They might not have access to a dentist that offers this. Well, they should ask. One of the programs that I'm very supportive of is something called The Healthy Start. Mm-hmm. So they could they could just Google that and see if there's a provider in the area who's had that training. Great. There's another company called Myobrace. I kind of like the Healthy Start better, but um, they're comparable. Okay. There's another company called Vivos, but um, I'm really supportive of the Healthy Start. But they all have the same philosophy, and that is to treat these children young, epigenetically stimulate the genetic genome that puts them back on the right path. 
Mm-hmm. So here's the other benefit, not just eliminate some of those health issues as a child. You know, think of the social issues that children have. I know it was an impact on me as a bedwetter. I really didn't want to spend the night over a friend's house, right? It was pretty embarrassing. So how about, and, t- and you know, kids are cruel, right? I think they're worse now than, than when I was growing up. So just think about the impact that has. And then here's a huge benefit. How about if your child does not have to get teeth extracted, then does not have to get braces? Oh my God. So not just the cost savings, but to put not to have to put your child through that. We had we had all three, my brother and sister, everybody, we we all had braces. And then I had a W expander. You know, I had the thing in the top of my mouth where they'd turn the key every week to open up the palate. And then I had a face mask. I mean, talk about something. I didn't want to go to anybody's house. No, not sure. Well, at least they did the palatal expansion. That's good. It yeah. probably didn't do enough, but, but the face mask itself does just the opposite. Now you're expanding and then the face mask is pushing everything back. So we don't recommend that. So mm-hmm. we want everything to come forward. Uh, there's a dentist that has, uh, what does he call it? Extraction, retraction, regret syndrome. So taking the teeth out, pushing everything back, causing these airway issues in adults. And this, I think, is probably why you see so much sleep apnea in Hmm. even young children now, but in in so many adults. And that's what led me down this path. As I said, we're trying to treat something that's been going on 30, 40, 50 years. What if we go downstream and try to address this in the beginning and prevent this from happening? And think about the health savings, because, you know, with sleep apnea, you have cardiovascular disease, you got diabetes, you got hypertension. You got dementia, you got erectile dysfunction. I mean, there's, I can go on and on. All the things that are associated clearly, I mean, this is not just a correlation, there's a cause and effect, even cancer from sleep disordered breathing. Yeah. I mean, that's a, it's, it's, it is truly, as we're going over this, this is not talked about within the biohacking community. Um, well, I've never talked about this with anyone offering, you know, dental care to me. You know, one an, another thing that's popping out that's that's just um that is really connected with everything we're talking about. It's I also want to paint a path for people. Where do they where do they dip their toe in the water with all of this? Because it can seem I'm sure you experience this. It can be a little overwhelming. Whether you're someone who knows that they're currently not like breathing great, someone that knows that they're you know they've got a lot of amalgams. They know they've got to get this dental work done. And where do you suggest people get started? Wow, that's a, <laughs> I don't know the answer to that. I think you have to start what's going to work for you. What, you know, what's your tolerance level? Can you handle a huge change, huge paradigm shift, or do you need a little bit at a time? Mm-hmm. And I know uh, my daughter, Renee, when she talks to her clients about nutrition, she says, you know, let's just start with cutting out Coca-Cola. You know, how about drinking more water? You know, because that person who's drinking Coca-Cola and, and eating McDonald's, they're not going to go out and buy a pimp pad and all, you know, infrared sauna, a juve light, uh, get all their amalgams out, change their diet. I mean, it's not going to happen. Right. So um, I think you got to take small steps. But once in a while, and we get this sometimes, and you probably experience too, we get people that want to go, Let's, I just want to do it all. Yes. I know those people. I'm one. I'm, I'm that person. I mean, if I, that's, you know, if I identify a problem and I know it's possibly, you know, holding me back from being a really high performer, then I'm, I'm making a plan to get it done. Yeah. Well, that's why I reached out to you. I want that amp coil. 
Yes. Yes. I love it. So we're going to get an amp coil into the paradigm at Dr. Samataro's office. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, but you know, that sometimes can be so overwhelming for someone that, you know, we got to kind of take it slow on them. Um, I had a patient, you know, it's severe airway issue. I said, you really would really help if you lost some weight. I mean, you have the girth here, your neck's really large. So, you know, he says, well, I don't want to be a vegetarian. I said, I didn't say you had to be a vegetarian. <laughs> Why do you think that eating healthy means you're a vegetarian? I said, I'm not a vegetarian. So, and that's nothing against vegetarians. I said, but, but it was just so shocking to a system. Yeah. Well, we've been fed a lot of, you know, misinformation over the years. I mean, look at, look at like my parents' generation, like our refrigerator was filled with like, you know, special kinds of mayonnaise. I can't believe it's not butter, Diet Coke. You know, we had all the quote unquote health, we had a health movement. It turns out everything that we were told was healthy. And I remember my mom's pretty paleo, you know, and she's, she's amazing. Um, amazing example of someone who's just like embraced things that she wasn't comfortable with. Just like, has added them into the paradigm, you know, personal trainer, paleo, really no gluten anymore, no sugar. And it was, I remember starting off, it was really hard for her because there were so many years of, you know, look at the food pyramid, you know, grains and bread and pastas. And that was good. That was, that took up the majority of your diet. And that's, you know, it, it turns out we're finding out the science is saying that's not necessarily great. Well, the, the beauty of it is that one, it's never too late. And two, the information is readily available if you're open to it. Now, I know there's so much information, it's hard to steer in the right direction. But I think if you read enough and stay in tune, you'll start to see something that really vibrates with you and what's important to you and take tiny steps. I mean, I wasn't born with that. I think I was born with Twinkies in my mouth. So yeah. um, <laughs> I ate so many Twinkies when I was a kid. And by the way, I had 14 amalgams, so I, I did get cavities. 14. 14 amalgams. So I had them safely removed, obviously. And let me ask you, so you must have done this work as well. Did you, did you find that you did a little diagnostic work and did some testing? How were your mercury, mercury levels having 14 amalgams and being a dentist, working on people all the time? Well, initially, uh, the tri-test wasn't available, so I did a hair analysis, and it actually showed low levels, but at the time, I didn't understand how to interpret it. What it really meant is I wasn't excreting it, so it didn't come out in the test. For some people, and at least what I thought, that was good. Now, once I started taking them out on a regular basis, I was doing a safe protocol, so I was protecting myself, taking the right supplements wearing a mask, wearing you know, a suit. So um, when I did do the tri test, believe it or not, they were surprised that I was a practicing dentist taking out mercury. It was very low. My excretion rate was good. So my NPHFR was good. So um, I was fortunate, but that's unusual. For most dentists, they're very toxic. Yeah, no, I can only imagine, it, biological dentists or not, if you're working with that organic material all day, every day, and you're on a low level of exposure, just because of your work environment, it's got to be a liability. Yeah, and I, I'm old enough to remember uh, when I practiced without a mask and gloves. So, um, so I was mixing the amalgam with my hands, and of course I was breathing it. Oh so my goodness. I would guess if that hadn't transitioned, I wouldn't be sitting here right now talking to you about this. Probably not in the vibrant state that you are now, no. 
Yeah. And so, but this has been, you know, a process for me. I had to go down this path and I feel like it's made a difference. I mean, I don't take any Medi-Cal B66 this month. I take no medications. I work out regularly. I try to eat as best I can. I'm still working on my sleep. I'm trying to hack that. I'm, I'm trying to figure out how my wife sleeps so good, so much better than me. So, um, you know, but at least now with the aura ring, I can, uh, you know, I can do some quantification to figure out what's going on. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about, about the aura ring. Why do you like that ring so much for getting biofeedback information from your body? Well, I've used some other things before. A lot of them were, you know, like Bluetooth. So you had to have your phone on. Mm-hmm. The thing is, you don't have to have your phone anywhere near you. In fact, I put my phone on airplane mode it's going to pick up all the data right on the ring. And so when I take it off in the morning and put it in the charger and hook it up to my phone, that's when all the data gets loaded into the phone. So I'm not getting bombarded all night long. So I think that these guys are geniuses. So, um, and to be able to pick up, and so especially with my experience in sleep medicine, where, where you're really looking at things like deep sleep, just in general, the sleep architecture, how much light sleep, how much deep sleep, how much slow wave sleep, REM sleep. How do you do that without monitoring the brain at the same time so using EEG leads, which is what typically in a sleep study? So how they're able to do with this is, is beyond my capability, beyond my pay grade, I should say. Uh, that's amazing. That's amazing. Gene, I know we could do like five or six episodes. We're, we're definitely going to do another one because I feel like we just touched on like all these different topics, which we could go so deep down the rabbit hole in. I want to ask, I always end the podca- uh, podcast with a couple of questions. And number one, I want to ask, what does it mean to you to be beautifully broken? I think it's to be honest with myself that I'm not the Superman that sometimes I think I am or thought I was. To accept that uh, I have faults, both physically, mentally, and in spiritually, and to acknowledge those and to accept them uh, and not be so, you know, so harsh on myself because I'm not so perfect, but also at the same time, address those in any way that I can to make them better without setting unrealistic expectations along the way. So that if I come short, I'm not going to feel let down. And then tomorrow's, and tomorrow's another day. Tomorrow is always another day. Yeah. The, the other one where I want to do is uh, if you can just if you can leave the, uh, this audience, you know this audience, a lot of people on here listening are seeking better health, looking for the upgrade. Um, if you can leave everybody with a question, just to ask themselves, just to inspire a little change to this audience, what would it be? Do you feel as vibrant as you'd like to be? Are you full of energy throughout the day? Are you the person you really want to be? And try to figure out what it is that you need to support that mm. and keep an open mind to all the possibilities out there. And this is a big world now that we're living in. So open your mind to everything that's possible. Yeah. It's a beautiful, beautiful answer. And it makes me, it makes me so thankful that we have access to all these things that we talked about in the show and and it's true, the world, the world more than ever needs you at your very best. So I think you've got to take, I think you've got to take that question. I think you've got to go write down that answers and really, and, and take yourself to a hard line and, 
And and I promise everybody out there, everybody can be upgrading just a little, just a 1%. Do 1% a week. You know, do 1% a week for the next 30, 365 days. Yeah. And the thing is, if we're really here to help other people. And if we're not feeling ourselves physically, mentally, spiritually, how do we help other people? How do we make this a better place for others? But we can only be accountable and responsible for our own well-being. So take responsibility there. Don't rely on someone else to be accountable and responsible for your health. And I think that's part of the medical system is that, oh, I'll get sick. Someone will take care of me. And that's not a good, healthy way to to approach it. And it's obviously not working. No, it's not. Gene, if people want to get a hold of your book, give us a title and where they can get that. And then where can people follow you on social media? Yes, the book is Stop the Snore. You can get it on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. It's like fourteen ninety five. It's it's like really really inexpensive, and it's a good read. I wrote it not for other doctors. I wrote it for the public so they 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 can read it in a short night. I have patients that read that in one night. They call me the next night and go, "Wow, I had no idea." Uh, social media that you had mentioned, biohacking dentist. I'm on LinkedIn, just under Dr. Gene Sambatero. Facebook, you can find me on the same name. Uh, I'm pretty easy to find. There's not a lot of Gene Sambateros. And then if people want to, if people want to reach out and connect to you about seeing you at the clinic, where would that be? Uh, they can go to either the JulianDentist.com, or they can just go to my personal site, DrGeneSambatero.com. Beautiful. Gene, it was an absolute pleasure having you on the show. I cannot wait for everybody to hear this. We're going to do it again. Thank you so much for being here. Great. You're awesome. (laughs) Thank Thank you, you, buddy. Namaste. Namaste. This episode of the Beautifully Broken podcast was brought to you by our lovely sponsor, Ampcoil. Guys, a heartfelt thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's show, if you found yourself moved and inspired, I would ask that your next stop today is to drop a review on iTunes. Nothing helps a movement like sharing, downloading, and spreading this message. You can follow me on Freddy Set Go on all social platforms and throwing a screenshot and a favorite quote of your episode in your Insta story or on Facebook. That is the extra credit, next level engagement I am manifesting. So like these little ripples in a pond, your action helps connect this inspired information with the people who need it most. Till next time. I'm your host, Freddie Kimmel. This is the Beautifully Broken Podcast. Namaste.